Hi, everyone. Welcome to Coffee with the Queen. I'm Nicole. And I'm Cindy. We're back for week two of this gritty, sometimes gross, sometimes dangerous side of coffee series. And today we'll be delving into a hotly debated topic, coffee lawsuits. As a reminder, most of what's covered in today's podcast is available as an entry on our blog, coffeewiththequeen.com, and accessible via links on our podcast site, coffeewiththequeen.podbean.com. Great. I'm excited. I'm going to actually start off today with a warning to anyone who's listening, and that is that I, with my very non-legal background, find most of these lawsuits to be ludicrous, not because people can't be defrauded or hurt by coffee. They can. And Cindy has actually suffered a face burn under my watch. (laughs) But I find them ludicrous because these lawsuits appear wholly unfounded in a world of what I would call retail responsibility. No, I agree with you. From what I know, Nicole, it's like uh, our litigious society. So people will take any opportunity to sue. Yes. And so some of these I, I actually find laughable. And hopefully you will sue whoever's listening. All right. So now on to case category number one. I'm going to call the hot coffee lawsuits. Hot coffee. Got it. Hot coffee lawsuits. So as a quick preface to the hot coffee cases, it's necessary to state that hot coffee is hot. (laughs) Never felt the need to say that before, but a brewed cup of coffee is hot. So to achieve proper extraction, you have to use water that's heated to a temperature between 195 and 200 degrees Fahrenheit or 90.5 and 96 degrees Celsius. So essentially it's a just off boil heat. If you pour or spill a cup of hot coffee onto your hand, it's going to sting and burn and may cause burns. And that's just what hot liquids do when they meet skin. And we've all done this, I think. We've all done this. Accidentally in our house. I don't know any tea or coffee drinker that hasn't accidentally spilled a cup of coffee on themselves. Particularly, I would say with tea, the top of my kettle has come off because I haven't secured it properly. So I've spilled very hot water on me multiple times. Yeah. And I feel like most people have who've who are regular tea or coffee drinkers. And I feel like you leave the coffee shop sometimes and you put the lid on yourself and it's not quite secured and you spill coffee on your hand. Every commuter, I'm a New Yorker, every New York commuter I know has spilled coffee on their hand. Every person I know that's walked with coffee has spilled it on their hands. Exactly. And on their clothes and in many other places. Okay, so today we're going to start with the original hot coffee case that was filed in Albuquerque, New Mexico in 1994 by 79-year-old Stella Liebeck. Is that the McDonald's case? It's the McDonald's case. Okay. I'm with you. So after purchasing a hot coffee at a local McDonald's drive-thru, Stella spilled coffee on her lap while trying to remove the lid so she could add cream and sugar. So she was holding the cup between her knees in a parked car when she was trying to remove that lid. Okay. Okay. So that's, the, that's the scene. The coffee spilled onto her lap and caused third-degree burns, which led to eight days of hospitalization and multiple skin grafts. So Miss Liebeck sued McDonald's for $20,000 for her injury and for lost compensation due to hospitalization under the claim that the coffee was too hot. McDonald's countered that the coffee was kept at a reasonable 180 to 185 degrees Fahrenheit or 82 to 85 degrees Celsius and that it was Miss Liebeck's actions and her clothing that caused the exacerbated burn. So Miss Liebeck was wearing sweatpants, which did exactly what sweatpants do and absorbed all the coffee and then kept that hot liquid very close to her skin for a prolonged period of time. I don't even know what to say. First of all, if she bought the coffee, if okay, if she bought the coffee and it wasn't hot, she might have sued McDonald's for them serving her too cold coffee. Go on. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. No, if if you get cold coffee, you're going to complain. If you get really hot coffee, you're going to complain. I mean, it's next thing we're going to have. It's someone like someone going to an ice cream parlor and complaining because they got that like brain freeze that you get sometimes from having too much ice cream. 
Right. I'm a hot yoga teacher. And it's like people in the studio telling me, oh, it's hot in there. Well, it's supposed to be. So McDonald's countered the $20,000 request with an $800 offer, which Ms. Liebeck promptly refused. Held at a standoff, the two parties headed to court where a jury deemed Ms. Liebeck partially at fault, but did grant her punitive damages, totaling two days worth of lost compensation. So while this was a meager victory, this was still a win by Ms. Liebeck and a strong public reprimand for McDonald's, whom the jury, as one juror member put it, considered the company to be negligent and callous in its disregard for the safety of its customers. So during wow. the trial, evidence was presented showing that prior to Ms. Liebeck's incident, McDonald's had received an astonishing 700 complaints about the coffee's too hot temperature. 700! 700 people thought coffee was too hot, which, I mean, you can burn coffee, but it's starting at a hot temperature regardless. Yeah, you know, but if, like I said earlier, this is more of a personal preference. Like how you manage the hot coffee once you get it, it should be, that's personal responsibility, I think. You know, I do too. I mean, we were always taught not to put the coffee on our lap or do, you know, if if we needed to open the lid for any reason after we had hot coffee, my mother always told us to put it away from our body. So to put it on the hood of the car, to go put it, you know, put it on the ground if you have to. Growing up in a coffee family, we would never hold coffee, especially if we were going to be somehow like maneuvering a cup or um, doing anything that could cause cause the coffee to jostle. We'd never hold it close to our body. I mean, she was in her car, right? She was in her car holding it between her knees. So what's the matter with the cup holder? I don't know. Maybe it was occupied. Okay. I mean, it was the 1990s. I don't know. I can't remember if all the cars had cup holders then. They all didn't at some point. I do. In my living memory, not all cars had cup holders. No, but the 90s, I think maybe they did. But okay. But anyway, she should have been able to feel how warm the cup was when it was between her legs before the accident happened. It's also a paper cup. I wouldn't hold a paper cup between my knees. So lots of things going on here that I find just kind of crazy. And she did admit fault. But she still thought the coffee was too hot. So, but you're putting <sighs> hot coffee in a paper cup between your knees, close to it's it's it seems a bit risky and dangerous. It's like living on the coffee edge. Start. So, yeah. And then, so those lawsuits died down for a bit. But then in 2014, a 38 year old woman named Selena Edwards from Victoriaville, California, tried to sue McDonald's again claiming that the coffee was too hot and gave her second-degree burns this time. This time, however, it was Selena who found herself under scrutiny and facing 21 felony charges after it was discovered that she lied and used burn photos found on the internet to make her claim. Wow, so she submitted fake pictures. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that one, was that's just more the warning. What happens yeah. when, you, when you try to game the hot coffee lawsuit system? And so I think... Also important to note here, and partially just because this is imprinted child's memory now, that after the 1994 lawsuit, I think there was a big gap probably in lawsuits after that period because so many cafes and coffee shops sought to protect themselves preventatively by putting very prominent signs saying like, warning, hot coffee, or warning, hot coffee may burn. So I don't know about you, but I remember looking at those when I was a child and thinking, how dumb do they think we are? No, I do too. Like, why, why? This is like telling me that an oven is hot. Right. This is something, yeah, warning, hot coffee, you know, is it's the oxymoron thing like jumbo shrimp. <laughs> you know, to, to me, it's like, 
Obviously, you didn't order iced coffee. If you didn't order iced coffee, then it's going to be hot. Right. The default coffee is hot. Right. I do remember the signs too, though, Nicole. I remember them. Well, I think the other thing too is I feel like every person over five years old knows that if you are handed something that has steam coming out of it, it's hot. If you see that steam poof coming up, it's hot and you don't hold it close to you. Yeah. I mean, the thing of it is that I still think it's just, I can't believe that she got any money because I still just think that you have a hot beverage. If you decide to put it in between your legs and mess with it, this is your fault. So it's still, I think it's a horrible precedent that she got anything. Well, they said that their bigger concern was more that McDonald's had received so many complaints and never checked the temperature on their machines, which I think came out to still be within the, you know, the one, the 180 to 185 range. Right, the hot but, coffee range. Yeah, I'm going to guess if my non-research background, if I were just going to guess on this, I would say they were probably using very thin cups so it felt hotter. Like now, right. most often when you get coffee, you get it with a coffee sleeve to protect your hand. But if you get it in a very thin paper cup, it feels very hot. I'm wondering if the sleeves were part of the reaction to this litigious uh, movement. I think the sleeves were a reaction to people doubling up on cups which costs more than the sleeve. Oh, that makes sense. That actually makes perfect sense. This kid in the working at Mills was people started ordering almost like an excessive number of cups. And my mom asked once, she said, because people were doubling up. And so that cost of that cup was, I think, two or three times more than the cost of a sleeve. So moving on to the second category of crazy coffee lawsuits. This one involves volume. And I have to confess that the two cases coming up are my all-time favorite bogus coffee lawsuits. Okay. In March of 2016, Sienna Strumloff, Benjamin Robles, and Brittany Critterden launched a class action lawsuit against Starbucks, accusing them of fraud and false advertising, claiming that the coffee giant shorted their customers on every espresso-based milky drinks. That would be lattes, mochas, cappuccinos, any drink where you have espresso and some form of milk or milk foam by using 25% less coffee than they claim to use and making up the volume difference with extra milk and or foam. Okay. I can't believe they brought a lawsuit saying that, you know, you're not using as much espresso as you said you're using. I mean, a cappuccino is supposed to be mostly foam. So I'm, I'm, what are they suing? I mean, the the ratio, they said they didn't use the, the ratios were incorrect and they were not using enough espresso they were using more milk which to me sounds completely bogus anyway because as any coffee house owner will attest the milk cost per cup is actually higher than the coffee cost per cup so it makes no sense from a saving perspective on starbucks part to short people on espresso and fill them up on milk or foam they would have better luck saying that everything was like shorted by like a a quarter of an ounce or something well they tried to do that too and then starbucks said no they have a stop fill line on the cup almost like a protective barrier because people complain that the coffee spills and gets hot so they have notes you know they have a little marker on the cup so that you don't the barista won't overfill the cup which will then you know if you slightly if you use a bigger cup and don't fill it all the way to the top less likely to spill on the person and have them come and claim that you know your coffee's too hot and it's burned them so I want to ask you from your reading, did the lawyer actually say, you know, milk costs more than coffee, so why would we do that? No, that okay. is a Nicole okay. add-in. Okay. This, is, this is a Nicole insight. No, it's a great insight. A Nicole Coffeehouse insight. And then in June of that year, so it's like 16, 2016, seems to be a very popular year for people to sue Starbucks. 
a Californian who will call Alexander F., just because I can't pronounce his last name properly. I do kind of like to shame these people, but I can't get there. Proposed a new class action lawsuit against the coffee giant, claiming that Starbucks falsely advertised the volume of crushed ice in a glass of iced coffee, resulting in a ratio that shorted the customer again on espresso and gave too much ice. Fascinating. Um, <laughs> I know. And a very wise judge, who I I really applaud this judge, upon hearing this, quickly rejected the claim, stating, if children have figured out that including ice in a cold beverage decreases the amount of liquid they will receive, the court has no difficulty concluding that a reasonable customer would not be deceived into thinking that when they order an iced tea, that the drink they'll receive will include both ice and tea, and that for any given size cup, some portion of the drink will be ice rather than whatever liquid beverage the customer ordered. Right. And, but this person, again, very reasonable. <laughs> yeah, that judge, that's my kind of judge, you know? Yeah. yeah. He sounds a little Judge Judy-ish, and I like it. It's like uh, common sense. Very common sense. I mean, normally I'm opposed to bringing children into any controversy, but in this case, it actually seems really appropriate. The kid knows. The thing is, he's talking about the proportion. So he's implying that if he said, give me less ice, they would give him even less coffee. Because he's not saying it's that he ever asked for less ice he's saying that the proportion whatever it was was incorrect well i think he was saying there was only supposed to be 10 ounces or like 10 ounces of coffee and if they put in crushed ice they couldn't get in 10 ounces of coffee but if you ever saw the way that starbucks made an iced coffee i don't even think that makes sense because they just pull a shot yeah of, i mean they pulled like a shot or a double of espresso yeah and poured it over the ice right and just watch the ice melt so i really no, it, it was makes thrown no sense. out. It never made it anywhere. It makes no sense. Okay. Now that we've covered the hot coffee and the ratio cases, we're going to move on to a much more adult case. And this will be the last case I'll discuss today. I think it's a great one to end on for me before we pass it over to you. So in 2012, a North Carolina cop named Matthew Kaur sued Starbucks for 750000 claiming that a faulty lid on a coffee cup caused him to spill the contents of the cup onto his lap, which then led to a series of physical and emotional woes. Emotional? Yeah, yeah, just, just listen. Okay. According to Kaur, the stress of experiencing the hot coffee spill on his groin and thigh flared his Crohn's disease, which I, I know can be very painful, which somehow led to intestinal surgery. And then that surgery in turn created intense psychological and emotional distress, which left Kaur uneasy and ill-performing both at work and at the bedroom. So both he and his wife filed this complaint. <laughs> this is like a Connect the Dots book where oh, yeah. number three is missing, right? So Connect the Dots, you go from one to two to three to four, and then at the end you have a star or whatever. There are dots missing. This sounds like somebody who was on the edge and, and unstable to begin with and was like, I just need... Yes. He was looking for that, you know, that one extra straw to just push him over. I mean, holy shnikes. Like, Crohn's disease is horrible, but Crohn's disease is a digestive issue. Yeah, it's not caused by spilling coffee on yourself. Even if no. that makes you nervous, and being nervous gives you, you know, a little bit of stomach flutters. It doesn't lead to a full-on flare that you then have to have surgery for, and then the emotional stress of the surgery. And in maybe emotional stress of surgery could leave you impotent, and poorly performing at work, but he said he was like uneasy in the seat driving around at work, so it was hard for him to be a good cop. Because like, what did he think that coffee was going to pour out of the sky or out of the roof onto his lap? I don't know. Originally, Core wished to sue Starbucks for two million dollars, but then reduced the demand down to seven hundred and fifty thousand after better exploring the legal process. I have to also mention the cup of coffee he received was free. 
In the end, Core was awarded a whopping zero after the jury determined that Starbucks is not liable for the burn. <laughs> Wise jury. <laughs> so I want to ask about this burn. Is Privates got burnt? Well, through his clothes, I mean, it doesn't say that he had to have a skin graft or end up in the hospital. It was just he poured hot, the lid, I guess, was ill-fitting. I don't know if he fiddled with it or what. And it came off and he spilt his coffee on him and it happened to land near his groin. I don't know, his groin and thigh. I'm not sure. I'm still trying to connect those dots. And there was like that bedroom portion. And I'm thinking like, was he discolored or like? You can't connect them. They don't connect. They don't connect. He didn't want to be a cop anymore. He didn't have it in him and he just needed an excuse to be out. Maybe he was having a midlife crisis and it was the coffee that he was like, oh, I know people can sue Starbucks. Let me sue Starbucks. Let me find a reason to sue Starbucks. I'm not sure. (laughs) We've also experienced this, even if it's a strong coffee cup, the heat in the cup can sort of make it hard sometimes to put the lid on. So once again... Yeah, it's personal responsibility. Yeah, I mean, I know I've been out, I mean, normally I drink our coffee, but if I'm out and I have to get coffee somewhere, there have definitely been times when I've gotten coffee and you can tell it's fresh or just been brewed and it is a little warm. I tend to like to let my coffee cool for about a minute or two before I drink it because I'm not a lover of extreme heat or spice when it comes to, to putting anything in my mouth. So I have definitely even gone and taken a sip of coffee the moment it was handed to me and found it to be a little hot and pulled back. And sometimes that can even cause the, the lid to just, yeah, the lid to flip a little or cause my hand to shake and water in coffee to come out through the sip hole of the lid or whatever you call it. The opening in the lid. Yeah. Maybe not sip hole. Like it caused coffee to come out of the opening in the lid. Yeah. I think what we're seeing here is that if there is anything that is suable, somebody is going to try to sue about it. Yes. And, you know, I was hearing stories like this does make me really wonder would we even ever want a cafe oh <laughs> uh, yeah we have those signs everywhere yeah coffee is hot coffee spills <laughs> if i ever get my cafe yoga studio to open there's just going to be so many signs warning enter at your own risk warning the hot yoga room is hot warning the hot coffee is hot yep so thank you nicole that i found that all really really interesting i have to say i had a lot of fun researching this and I think many of us have heard these cases. We we knew of them when they were first presented, but you know I haven't looked at them in many years, and so I had a good laugh going over them. I remember the McDonald's case just barely, but I'm I'm happy to have my litigious coffee refresher. So thank you. And while what I'm going to talk about, I'm unaware of any actual lawsuits coming from my topic. I do see that there is a possibility for it to happen. Okay. So what I'm going to talk about today are charcoal lattes and whether or not you should actually have one. Okay. So I don't know. Have you ever seen a charcoal latte? I have never. I I have taken charcoal when I have eaten something that I'm afraid may be bad. Like, you know, if I feel like I had something that I'm either very allergic to or if I get this sense that maybe I'm going to get food poisoning. You know how sometimes you eat something and your stomach immediately... Yeah. It's like, whoa, stop. I always have charcoal capsules here. Interesting. As Yeah, I use them for the cats too in case they ever eat something. If they ever got into, or the dog, if they ever get into chocolate or um, something that's just really toxic to them. Well, that makes sense. I'm going to talk a little bit about why that makes sense a little bit later on in my description. Yes. And I wouldn't do it regularly. It's really, it's, it's you know, like more of an emergency situation. Yeah. So... 
I would say starting in around 2010, 2015, charcoal lattes were showing up in a lot of artisan coffee shops, and they also were pretty popular on social media like Instagram. People referred to them as the goth latte, because what it is is your typical latte art, but the background is black. It's gorgeous. And so the pictures were really beautiful and moody and gothic, hence the goth latte. And people were claiming not only were they beautiful, but supposedly they were good for you. So what exactly gives the drink its beautiful black appearance? Well, the answer is activated charcoal. So Nicole, that term is familiar to you because that's why you were using it to like bind to some bad things that you might have eaten. Yes. Yeah, to remove toxins. Right. So you can find activated charcoal listed as a health-boosting supplement in everything from ice cream to skin lotion. I mean, I actually have charcoal face masks in my bathroom right now. I've also seen eye patches. I think you probably have seen it too in skincare, right, Nicole? Not so much in skincare. Okay. Yeah, I haven't. None of the skincare I've, I've used, I don't know. I, we have different types of skin though. So Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, we deal with different issues. It's the same kind of thing. They say that a charcoal mask like helps to pull the toxins out of your skin, like a detox type thing. Oh yeah, no, I've never done that. I go for mud. Big fan of mud. Huge fan of mud. As far as the charcoal in the coffee, thankfully from what I read, at least taste-wise, the charcoal is supposed to not really add much to the flavor, maybe some subtle depth and earthiness, but it doesn't really change the flavor of your drink much. So it seems to be only really for the visual appeal in the coffee. Yeah, it doesn't taste. I mean, if it's anything like activated charcoal that you'd have if you had to take a charcoal pill, it doesn't it tastes a little powdery, but it doesn't have any dominant or pronounced flavor. That was good news for me. And I started reading more because, you know, it's so it's such a pretty if you if you ever get the chance, look it up because the latte art is so pretty with that black background. You know, you've seen green ones and whatnot, but the I don't know something about the black one. Maybe it's because I'm a New Yorker. Maybe it's because I'm usually dressed in black. I don't know. It really piqued my interest. So I began to research it. And I was surprised when I learned that there are some hidden threats that are associated with the drink. So first, before I get into those threats, I'm going to give you some background on what exactly activated charcoal is. Okay. I mean, can I guess one of the threats after? Sure. Do you want me to guess it now? Well, I know that, so this is a very weird connection, to, but the, de- the dots will connect unlike the crazy emotional distress lawsuit against coffee. I know in cats, when I first moved my cats over to a holistic diet, and the woman, Anitra, warned me against using any cat litter that had charcoal, because a lot of the cat litters have charcoal, because continuous exposure to charcoal can hurt the organs. Wow. Organ, it can cause organ damage. So she was very anti any litter that was made of charcoal, but a lot of litters actually contain charcoal because they absorb odor and smell and... Yeah, so that's not even what I'm going to talk about, but that's fascinating in and of (laughs) itself. But the absorption part of what you said is what the problem is. Okay. So activated charcoal is chemically modified carbon. What the modification does is it makes it really absorbent. It's created by heating carbon-packed substances at a very high temperature. And you end up with a charcoal that's free of whatever it was bonded to it before, but with a massively increased surface area. So what that treatment does is it turns the carbon into a large sponge that's ready to absorb whatever it comes into contact with. And eventually this super soaked charcoal, if you've ingested it, it will pass out through your digestive system and be eliminated as waste. Okay, that sounds 
Okay. Well, you might have heard of it, like, in stomach pumping. If, if somebody has to get their stomach pumped, activated charcoal is one of the things that's put down their throats because it's going to bind with the toxic stuff that they've ingested. Yes, no, I, I get that. That's why if I have something that I'm afraid I'm allergic to or if I start feeling like I might have food poisoning, right. I'll take a pill. So what's the danger? So is the danger that it will also bind to good things? Yes. So give me a second okay. and I'll get there. Oops, sorry. No, okay. no, it's it's totally fine. You know, you want to know if you look at a piece of charcoal, you don't think that it's something that's going to cure anything, right? You think of like coal or a charcoal briquette. So I want to just talk about why it got popular. Why did people get on this bandwagon? And it's because of these supposed health benefits. Obviously, like I said, it binds to things. So some people have claimed that it's a cure for a hangover. That's like just an easy one, right? And it sort of makes sense, right? <laughs> you have all these nasty toxics. You stayed out a little late. You drank too much. It's going to bind with whatever's left over in your system and get rid of it. I guess. It also supposedly has antibacterial properties. It could help with skin infections, for example, supposedly. Okay. There's digestive benefits. Supposedly, it will reduce bloating. It's going to reduce gas, and it's going to reduce diarrhea. These all sound great, right? <laughs> yes. They're going to basically pull everything out of your system in your body. Right. So it's just going to be a clean, nice palate. <laughs> right. Anti-inflammatory. It's going to aid in skin irritations. Like if you get a bug bite, supposedly if you put the activated charcoal lo lotion on it, it's going to suck out whatever nastiness the bug left in your skin. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't know that one. Yeah. It's supposed to help with teeth whitening, with hair growth, exfoliating your skin. That's like the masks that I have, right? Yes. And as I said earlier, the most widely known use is for stomach pumping. But that's also where we get into trouble. While the activated charcoal gives the latte, because we're talking about coffee here, right? <laughs> Why yep. we're on the subject is because of coffee. Yep. So it gives it that visual appeal, but it might also interfere with medication. Ah. It's going to bind to a substance in your body and eliminate it. Okay. That's why it's used in stomach pumping, as I said. Got it. I didn't put them together. When I think stomach pumping, I, like, I think somebody ate something that's toxic to them, like a child accidentally ate rat poison. Right. But I guess that is a toxic, yes. Why would we think about it? You would think it's a good thing, right? It's only used to get rid of nasty stuff. You wouldn't think about it being used and inadvertently getting rid of good stuff. Yes. So that's the point. The activated charcoal could bind to anything you've ingested, from aspirin to antidepressants to birth control, and it could interfere with what the intended purpose of that medicine was. That's where I feel that a lawsuit could come into play. Got it. I mean, just imagine you enjoy two or three charcoal lattes a month later, boom, you're pregnant. Well, are they still legal? Well, I'm getting there. Okay. So you, you could end up being pregnant. You could be hardly suicidal, right? Your medicine stops working, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, so what should we take away? Why haven't there been tons of lawsuits? Because scientifically, there is a lot of debate over both the good parts and the bad parts. And most research states that the binding effects are less likely to occur if you take in the activated charcoal as food. Oh, interesting. Additionally, the effectiveness of the charcoal directly relates to when you take it in, how much you take in, and how long it stays in your system. Studies show that the amount of charcoal should be approximately 10 times greater than the amount of the drug it's going to absorb. Oh, that's a lot. Okay. So I don't know that a lawsuit would be effective. I don't know that somebody could win a lawsuit if a doctor gets up and says this. Right. To prove it, yeah. The studies also show mixed results, like which drugs is it really affecting? Are there drugs it doesn't affect? How much does it affect the drugs? Mm -hmm. So, like I said, this is why I think there haven't been virtual avalanche of lawsuits. I did discover, however, that at least in New York, 
there were a number of customer petitions when people became alerted to the binding quality of the charcoal. And the Department of Health did recall the use, at least as an additive to ice cream and coffee, because of its possibility, the possibility that it would interfere with medicine. So that's a good thing. Oh, that's so interesting, though. But wouldn't, I feel like that's one where you could have a warning, and then it's really up to the individual consumer. If, I mean, because a lot of things can counteract medication. It's interesting. I guess a number of people complained. And if I recall, I have to look back in my notes, but I think the woman that led this petition was a gynecologist and I think it was a birth control issue. So I think it's, it's very interesting. Yeah, that still feels very big brotherish to me. Like if you, there was a warning sign that said, stop, like drinking a charcoal latte could basically make any medication you're taking, including birth control and antidepressants, void. It will remove them from your system. I feel like that would be enough. That gives everyone the choice to say, yeah, it's worth it, not worth it. I mean, I'm not disagreeing with you, and you can still buy activated charcoal and make your own, right? Yeah, you can always <laughs> I think you can buy it in every pharmacy. I mean, I, I get mine from the pharmacy. My final thought on this is that if you're really taken in by the way that the charcoal latte or the goth latte looks, if you really need to have that black drink, just use black food coloring, like I wouldn't risk it. Oh, I'd probably risk it. But I don't take any medication. No, I mean, honestly, I looked at them. They kind of freak me out. <laughs> so I'm not, I'd be much more likely to go for a rose latte or a uh, lavender latte yes. than a black latte. Just something feels a little too dark for me. But in terms of what it is, I don't take any medication. So I might take a Benadryl or an Advil. And the big risk is that it's going to wipe that out for me. If I really wanted to try one, that wouldn't stop me. I'd be like, well, I'll take another one after I finish. Like I said, from what I read, I, it seems to me like you'd have to have a lot of charcoal lattes. Yes, yeah, that's probably too much coffee. In order for it to have any effect. Yeah. But still, for me, since it's not doing anything to the flavor of the drink, I would just use food coloring. I'd make a green. You've seen me do it, right? I'd make a red one. I'd make a yeah. green one. I'd make a black one. I mean, it is very, very pretty. I wouldn't risk it. I don't need the possibility that there'll be dangerous side effects. But, you know, we all take our own risks in life. <laughs> yes. And so that's it. That's my discussion today on something that could could have possibly been litigious. Interesting. Well, so hopefully we didn't put any ideas into people's minds. Just you guys are thinking it's really hard to run a cafe and a coffee shop. It's a lot of work for, for not the greatest reward monetarily. It's really about the relationships people build and to doing creating a social environment that they love and that they enjoy being part of. So before you sue that coffee shop, just really think about it. Yeah, I still think I want one because there's nothing like that coffee shop community. Yeah, it's, a, it's very special. Well, guys, this concludes week two of this series. Thank you for joining us. For this particular series, we are sometimes creating blogs about what we're speaking about today, but sometimes we're not because it doesn't totally fit into the scope of our blog and what we're doing with coffee. In most cases, links to everything we've discussed in today's episode are available on our blog, coffeewiththequeen.com, and on our podcast site, coffeewiththequeen.podbean.com. If you like this podcast, please let us know by giving us five stars on Apple Podcasts. And if you have any feedback or topics you'd like discussed, we'd love to hear about it. Please email us at info at thequeenbean.com or DM us on social media. Finally, to learn more about our coffee and our holiday specials, which are going to be made available November 1st, please visit our website, thequeenbean.com. Hopefully, we'll see you next week. Thank you. See you next time, guys. <laughs>